Hello, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, founder of Pasha Mama, and welcome to our podcast, In Conversation, where I chat to health practitioners, baby and toddler experts, mamas and mums-to-be, to find out what they do and how their story can help you through modern motherhood. If you're loving what you're listening to, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. A little love goes a long way. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Pasha Mama in Conversation. This episode is going to be the last one of the year and the last one of the season and gosh it's been so wonderful having such interesting and insightful and important conversations with such inspiring individuals. This episode is with a psychotherapist and coach who specializes in perinatal mental health, Ali Pember, who you may know on Instagram as Good Enough Mamas. And this episode is all around how we can cope with our mixed feelings of motherhood. Now, I listened back to this episode in the edit and at the time of the recording, it's quite clear to me that I wasn't in a particularly good place at the time of the recording. Motherhood, as you probably well know, is a roller coaster. There are up days and down days and good weeks and bad weeks. And I think that at the time of the recording, it was in the lead up to Phoenix's first birthday and I wasn't in a particularly good state. Perhaps that's quite strong even now thinking about it, but I wasn't in a place that I was hoping I was going to be in for his first birthday. And I think it kind of comes across in the episode with the way that I describe things and talk about things and the intensity and perhaps the slightly frenetic way that I ask some of the questions. So do forgive me for that, but that doesn't take away from the importance of the conversation and the brilliance Uh, that Ali shares. In the episode, we discuss the difference between motherhood and mothering and some of the conflicting feelings we can feel about those two things. Ali talks about the impact of matrescence and how to meet our needs as mothers as well as the needs of our children. Ali touches upon the understanding between the difference of shame and guilt. And we look also at how motherhood is an institution and what the impacts of the social constructs can have on us as mums. It's such a powerful episode that touches on a lot of topics that aren't necessarily always addressed in motherhood particularly for new mums and especially for expecting mums and yet I think it's incredibly important that we normalize the language and the emotions and feelings around this beautiful yet very messy journey of motherhood so if you're feeling it and you're in it then this one is definitely for you if you know somebody who might be going through this and might need help making sense of how they're feeling then please please do forward this episode on 
And since it's the last episode of the season and of the year, I want to just quickly take this opportunity to say thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for your constant support and solidarity. Uh, This has without a doubt been one of the most challenging years of my life. And I know that I wouldn't have been able to have done it without you. So thank you very much and sending you lots and lots of love and festive spirit big kiss and take care. Ali, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on because I think the reason we've been in touch on Instagram for a while, I think, but what really instigated me to invite you on to be a guest on the podcast was a post that I put on Instagram um, I think it was probably over the summer that said motherhood is not something you have to love in order to love your child or to be a good parent and there were so many comments um, and engagement from the community saying yes we don't talk enough about this and yes what even defines motherhood and you know I remember as I was posting it at the time people were saying, oh, don't you just, congratulations on becoming a mum, don't you just love motherhood? And I was kind of like, mm, I don't think I do, actually. And Phoenix is going to be one in two weeks' time, and I think he would probably already turned one once the podcast actually goes out, once this episode goes live. But I still probably have the same answer now as I did when he was a newborn which is I don't know if I enjoy motherhood I I actually think I I don't think I do I adore Phoenix that's never in question but do I love motherhood Mm, I don't know how do you answer that question Mm. well it's it's really interesting to talk openly about that because it is actually such a taboo thing still to admit isn't it that you might not be totally comfortable within this institution called motherhood and actually I think that's the first distinction to make Um, and it's a distinction that Adrienne Rich makes in her um, very sort of seminal work of Woman Born where she makes a distinction between the institution of motherhood and the act of mothering so you can actually really enjoy aspects of your mothering and that's the kind of day-to-day being with your child and just the, the moments of, of joy and connection that you can have through your relationship with them. And you can love them absolutely dearly. But you can also find that aspects of the institution, the cultural and societal construction of motherhood, really sucks. And you have to kind of, you're, you're kind of suspended in in the culture that we're in, we do all live within these kind of so-called rules, which I know we're going to go on and talk about of like perfect or good motherhood. But your day to day experience of mothering might be quite different from some of those rules or you might come up against those rules. And those are the things that I think often um, mothers really struggle with. They're like, I love my child, but I don't like all the shit that goes with the motherhood business. It does make sense. And I've never, God, you said so many good things. I was like, cool, this is going to be a really meaty conversation. Um, I've never heard motherhood being described as an institution, though. 
Could you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Hmm. So I mean that it is something that is very much constructed. It's an artificial kind of construct, really. So it's, if you like, all the, the unconscious and conscious rules that we've absorbed from our culture and from society around us that tell us what a mother is and does. So it becomes this quite fixed thing that we feel we have to live up to in some way. So it's mother, the Institute of Motherhood, just the institution of it is a kind of shorthand for all of the rules that are kind of written as would be around any kind of organization or institution, the things that tell you what to do to be a mother. Mm. It's such a messy way to enter this part of a very tricky period. You know, I know you know matrescence. I talk about matrescence a lot in terms of how, and please, you probably know it for more formal definition than I do, so please correct me if I'm wrong here. But, you know, in the same way, we have adolescence Mm -hmm. in the teenage years with the development there and the hormones and the shifts that a a teenager can go through 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 that adolescence period. We have a very similar transition called matrescence as a mother transitions into motherhood, again, with, yes, the physiological hormones, et cetera, but also the spiritual, mental, literal side of of giving life and supporting another human being, which I think it's almost too much for one person to do. Um, And, you know, I'm gonna be really open because I am really open and honest. Uh, you know as you know on Instagram and and with my journey and stuff and it is very ups and downs I have found this entire year and unfortunately I'm I think I'm in a down phase at the moment which is a shame because we're approaching my son's first birthday and I was kind of hoping that I'd be on an up and I'd be like this is isn't this wonderful and yes we're going to celebrate and he is wonderful and it has been wonderful but sometimes when you're in the in the trees it's hard to see the wood through the trees or whatever that phrase is that you know what I'm saying um and I've had these thoughts you know I've had these thoughts around how difficult it is to care for somebody else other than yourself especially I think what I found particularly around my circle of friends is that we're all we're all having babies a lot later in life than let's say our mother's generation and so we've been independent for longer we've enjoyed what we want for longer in a very selfish way and I've always actually said I I knew I'd find motherhood difficult because I'm quite selfish I like I like my things I like to do what I want and have no one to really answer to and um I found that really difficult and I find that the needs of myself when they the needs that I have are often at loggerheads with the needs of my son And I think that's where a lot of the tension can come from. Mm. And I think I've heard you speak about this before. That might be what the definition of maternal ambivalence is. Hmm. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. Ambivalence, strictly speaking, just means holding two conflicting emotions at the same time. Um, And it can occur in lots of situations, but in the context of motherhood, maternal ambivalence is this kind of love hate that we can have. Um, And actually, sometimes people react quite strongly when I use that word hate, 
Um, so a, a theorist who's written a lot about this, Rosika Parker, calls it love and hate quite deliberately because it gets you to really think, hang on a minute, you know, hate, do I, do I really, do I, do I hate my child? And, and that's such a taboo thing, again, to, to surface and talk about because we're so used to this cultural narrative that mothers should be ever-present, loving, connected, you know, available 24-7, um, never having these ups and downs because you're meant to put all of your own stuff on hold for the sake of your child. But actually that, that just isn't realistic because you're in relationship with your child. And whenever you're in relationship with anybody, you're going to have mixed feelings about that. It, it, it's not going to be perfect all the time. So when you're coming up against this kind of feeling of, you know, I shouldn't be thinking these things, I shouldn't be having this, these thoughts, what you're coming up against are these rules that we were talking about earlier on, the rule that sort of says mothers should be ever loving and happy. Motherhood is innate. Motherhood is instinctual, which actually is quite a lot of crap if I'm if I'm totally honest. That's really interesting that the the message around motherhood is instinctual because can you can you d dive into that a little bit more? Why do you say that that's you know because a lot of people say you know when or told me at least when he's when he's here you know you'll have your, your mama bear instincts will kick in mm -hmm. and I think they have to a certain degree but I don't think they were there from the beginning I think it's not necessarily my instinct it's more I've just sort of now learned to understand him in a way we have this weird language so I can almost intuitively understand what he might need but that's not something that came right from the beginning. The instinct that I had at the start was more of one of awe and a sense of duty than anything else. So what do you mean by what you said before about mm. instinct, instinctive motherhood? Yeah, well, I think we're, we're primed again because we're sort of primed to think that motherhood is just this thing that we, um, we, we don't have to learn. So the baby arrives and there is a lot of, oh, yeah, you'll you'll know what to do and, oh, mm. it will just come naturally and it will flow. And the experience for so many women is that it does not come naturally. It does not flow, particularly if they've had a, any kind of difficulty um, conceiving through pregnancy, their birth experience, problems, breastfeeding, you know, the whole gamut of, of different things that can get in the way of that early bonding and connection with, with the baby, who is a whole nother human being that the mum has to learn and form and adapt and form a relationship with. And that's the thing I always stress with, with clients I work with that, you know, you, you have to get to know each other. You're coming up to this milestone of a year um, with Phoenix. And I think the reason that sometimes that causes you to sort of look back and think, well, we should be in a better place by now. Well, actually, that year, that year is, is the single most exponential year in terms of growth, both for the human infant in terms of all their sort of neurobiological connections, but also in terms of your early relationship and connection to them. You're learning the ropes alongside them. 
and you're absolutely right when you say well is it instinct was it I don't know a lot of that is learned behavior and we're, we're understanding more and more now that actually it's not just mothers who can um, develop these kind of caregiving behaviors that appear to be instinctual actually they are behaviors that can be learned by fathers by other caregivers yes of course there's a huge amount about having carried a baby physically in your body and then you know if you're breastfeeding or even if you're not breastfeeding just that that connection when you're feeding the baby in such close proximity there's lots of physicality in motherhood that that promotes that kind of sense that the mother is the only one but she really isn't and a point you made right early on when you started to speak about this was I don't really think I should be doing this on my own and you're so right. We are meant to be doing this in community. We're meant to be doing this as a social species. And we've stripped a lot of that away because we live in these very isolated nuclear family units. There's so much you've said there, Ali, that I want to unpick. The first thing is around this idea of the perfect mother and not enjoying motherhood all of the time. And I think I probably talk on Instagram about the bits that I don't enjoy more often than I showcase the bits that I am loving to the point where people, you know, my friends are texting me like, are you okay? Yes, I am absolutely okay. And actually, for the most part, I am enjoying it. It's just there are the bits that I don't and there are a lot of bits that I don't that I talk about in order to hopefully allow other people to also feel okay in those moments that they're not enjoying it the bit that I think I struggle with the most is the feelings of I don't know if it's guilt I feel like guilt is a is a huge topic when it comes to motherhood that probably deserves a podcast episode all on its own. But the feelings of, when I look at other people from my network, my friends, friends of friends on Instagram and beyond, and I know that seeing someone's life through an Instagram lens is, is not a reflection of their reality. I know that, but even knowing that, you know, I, I find that the difficulty I have is not admitting when I'm not enjoying it. It's actually just seeing others and feeling not jealous because jealous is, is, is far too strong a word, more perhaps saddened by the fact that I'm not enjoying it as much as other people might be perhaps or finding it as easy as other people seem to be finding it how do we marry what we see from other people in how we're feeling in ourselves am I making any sense does that make sense you are making a lot of sense I I think mothers use other mothers as mirrors back to themselves really sometimes I think we look around but again that piece about us being a social species we look at how, how are others doing this and because you only ever see the public presentation of someone else's version of mothering and motherhood 
you do tend to get a rather rose-tinted spectacles view of that. You don't see the dirty linen piles in the corner unless you do go around to their house and they're happy to show you that. I mean, a lot of people carefully even curate their house for their friends. They don't want to air their metaphorical and physical dirty linen in public because to admit that motherhood is anything less than peachy is somehow on some level admitting that, that you're perhaps not cut out for it, you're not particularly good at it. I think there's a huge conspiracy of silence around the crappy aspects of motherhood. And thank goodness there are people like you who are prepared to talk about the fact it's not perfect. Because I can guarantee that even the ones that appear to have it together, that appear to be happy all the time, behind closed doors, crying in bathrooms somewhere, are having a difficult time. Not necessarily over exactly the same things or at exactly the same stage in their mothering journey. Um, you know, we're all individuals, our children are all individuals. But it's, it's such a messy, complex set of human relationships. It's not going to be lovely and fun and loving and all of that all of the time. So I think breaking the silence on that is actually partly what then enables these conversations to happen so that we don't have to have this kind of performative aspect of motherhood where we go out into the world, go to the baby group, we turn up and we act like everything is okay when actually it really isn't. Mm, that's oh, this, the conspiracy of silence. That's um, terrifying and wonderful at the <laughs> same time and I'm kind of glad that I'm trying to break that code of silence but how can others do that who don't have a platform mm. who don't feel comfortable who you know let's say there's somebody listening to this and they're struggling or they're having a bit of a shit day or mm. something's up and they want to talk to someone about it but they are for whatever reason afraid ashamed nervous scared to reach out to a friend or to say how they feel to their partner or a family member how can they start to try to perhaps open conversations with others around them so that they can build their support system because I think that's a huge part of the problem is that if 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 you're not saying what if you're not saying you need help or you're not saying that this is causing you sadness discomfort upset you're pissed off whatever it is you're going to be suffering in silence you're essentially drinking your own poison whatever that phrase is mm -hmm. which I love but it's hard to break that silence it's hard to ask for help I completely understand that so how can somebody make make a change or at least try to make a change and if it doesn't work that's okay but at least they've tried for, sort of taken that step to getting help or processing the feelings that they're feeling yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think it's really inf important to try and find those spaces and places where that's safe to do so, because there are lots of places you can't take those feelings. You can't always take those feelings into your family, for example, because you might get a whole heap of judgment and unwanted advice and everything when you weren't looking for that you were perhaps just looking for support. You can't always take that to mum and baby groups, which are all about the baby. I actually think you have to, in some ways, begin a bit with yourself and understand the difference between guilt and shame. So 
the difference between guilt and shame is quite an important distinction to make, I think, because we talk a lot about mum guilt. We label a lot of these feelings as mum guilt and we kind of lump them together. But you've talked a lot there about feeling very isolated in your feelings. And that, to me, is more indicative of shame. And so when a writer like Brené Brown talks about guilt and shame, it's a really interesting distinction because you can feel guilty about a behaviour, about something that you've either done or not done because it doesn't align with your values. But if you feel shame, it's because you actually feel bad as a person. You're defective in some way. You're just not cut out for motherhood in this example. You're, you're a bad mother. And I think the problem for so many of us is that what could be quite healthy and adaptive, which is little twinges of guilt we might feel about certain things, tip over very quickly into feelings of shame. A lot because of the, the cultural and societal construct we live in, which tells us that we have to live up to like this perfect ideal. And so if we don't, we think that we're the ones at fault. And we become very isolated in our feelings of shame. So I think the first thing to recognize sometimes is, am I actually in a real negative spiral here where I feel unable to speak out because I think I'm entirely alone in my experience? And then rather than seeking help, I actually set the bar even higher for myself. I think, you know, I don't know, listeners might sort of resonate with this. I've certainly had the feeling sometimes where I think, I'll just wake up tomorrow morning and somehow be a better person. You know, I lost my shit today. I've had a terrible day. I feel like a terrible mother. I am a terrible mother. But tomorrow, tomorrow I have a clean slate and I'll be so much more engaged in creative play. I will be so much more attentive and loving and kind and gentle. And then tomorrow comes and the tantrum happens or you miss the, the bus or you get caught in the rain or the pink cup should have been the blue cup or whatever the crap is that's coming at you and you lose it again and you're not perfectly present and loving and kind and attentive and if you're not careful that can get into a really negative spiral of then thinking I'm at fault I'm defective I'm bad I just need to try harder I must try harder could do better if you can begin to observe that happening, and that's a skill set that you have to develop over time with tools like mindfulness, self-reflection, journaling, having somebody you can talk to, you know, maybe just one friend who gets it, who you can be honest with, choose that person wisely. Um, that then can help you just develop a bit of a distance to notice I'm getting trapped here. In this kind of cycle of shame, it's not really not very helpful for me. So what can I do to apply a bit of self-compassion, fill my cup back up so that maybe rather than being stuck in a pit of shame, I can perhaps see some some small things I might want to change. Maybe I should reduce the amount of time I'm on my phone. Maybe I should make sure I've made some healthy food for us the day before. But it's not coming from a place of I'm a bad person. It's a very different energy, which is there are just a few things here that might improve my experience of mothering, mm. mother, my relationship with my child. You've mentioned kind of working on yourself. Um, and, you know, I've seen 
and listened to so many, I've read so many things and, and, and listened to so many podcasts about how, you know, breaking cycles and habits, which is something that I have massively had to start the process of doing. I sometimes find that it's on us yet again as mums mm. to take something else on board to try to better ourselves to try to reparent ourselves to try to rewire rewire the brain so that we can become aware so we can you get the tools it's another thing and don't get me wrong I think it's super important and I definitely noticed that on the days that I or the weeks or the stretches that are good stretches it's because I've made time for myself and given myself the things that I need and I have the tools to fall back on so I don't change spiral to that sort of negative space but it is hard work and sometimes that hard work you need the energy for the patience for and we're all fucking knackered so sometimes it's just not to do that and I posted once on your Instagram about how you don't need to I'm paraphrasing here you're gonna have to correct me you said something around like you don't need to pet reparent yourself every day you don't need to work on yourself every day because if you do that's just another standard that you're trying to live up to to make it even harder on yourself as you said before no completely I mean you you kind of hit the nail on the head in the sense that I I think that even the drive towards self-care, self-compassion can become yet another tool to beat yourself up with you know oh I'm not doing self-compassion right I can't even do self-care. I'm meant to do self-care. And this kind of comes back to the, the, the societal stuff that we live within, the context that we live within. It's interesting, isn't it, how all of these issues are individualized. They're turned back to the individual and actually they're made into consumer products. You know, you can then buy a scented candle to do self-care with. It's probably even mm. called self-care. And it sort of makes it into a commodity. It makes it into a thing you've either got to purchase or do as an individual. When actually, if mothers were better supported, if there was universally available, uh, high quality, lower cost childcare, if, you know, doulas were something that people just had rather than could only be afforded by the rich, um, you know, loads of things. I'd love to change about the structure and fabric of society to support new mothers. We wouldn't have the kind of mental health crisis that we have in, in early motherhood. We probably wouldn't have the soaring rates of postnatal depression and anxiety. So I think it's just such a tricky balance, really, in this space of supporting mothers between agitating for change and, you know, fantastic, like the March for Mummies and the fact that, that there is more of a noise building around all of that stuff. So agitating for societal and structural change, but at the same time, supporting the individual to do that work, as you say, of reparenting, which is so vital. Because my sense is you can repair with your kids and, and you can kind of make up for all the things you think you have done wrong, even if you haven't done anything wrong. But the first person you have to repair with is always yourself. You can't put all these strategies and tools and gentle parenting and wonderful aspirational, conscious, intentional things into place unless you have applied that same level of compassion, kindness, oh. love to yourself. And that's often quite deep inner work 
Mm. And that's a really hard lesson for people, clients who come to me sometimes who want lots of tips, tricks, tools, hacks to improve the relationship with their child. And I always say to them, actually, the person you have to improve a relationship with first is your relationship with yourself. Because mm. if you're self-critical constantly about your parenting, any number of these strategies is just going to fall flat on its face. Mm. That's so such powerful stuff you're saying. I mean, is there something that, it, you know, society isn't going to change overnight? Unfortunately, no. these 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 societal constructs and the culture we live in is what it is, and I, I you know we're not we're not going to be able to bring about the necessary change as quickly as we want to, to help this next generation or even two of, of mums. Is it something that we can do perhaps? Is it something we should be starting to talk about perhaps in the antenatal education around preparing parents for what is to come? It's something that I've been looking at through a business lens, actually, if I'm totally honest. Um, you know, my the work that Pashama does is, is solely focused on the postnatal period, which yes, is is very much needed. But I feel like it would be less required if we were just upfront and told the right things, or at least open to the right things uh, going into this. How can we start to approach the subject or educate ourselves antenatally to? better prepare us for what may or may not come it's about awareness I think always and education how do you think we might be able to kind of tackle this before it might become a problem Mm. no I think I think you make a really valid point and I think there is definitely a place for raising awareness the only thing I will say though, and this is based on the experience of somebody who's run active antenatal birthing classes for sort of 10 years or so. So as well as my work as a psychotherapist, I've, I've run birthing classes. And part of the problem with trying to instigate dialogue about what happens after the birth is that again, within our culture, women are so frightened of birth that the only thing they can think about is the birth. And they cannot get beyond that. It takes a very rare person to come to me antenatally and ask me about what they should be thinking about postnatally. And that's not to say we can't begin to gently introduce those ideas. I mean, I think one of the things to change is, again, the focus away from sort of consumer goods, really, for new mums and into the idea of what social support am I going to need? So if we could begin to shift the narrative from, you know, getting all your friends and relations to to get all the nappies and the baby grows and all of the matching nursery decor that the child probably won't even see the most of its life because it's not going to be in the nursery. It's probably going to be in the the parent's bed. Um, You know, just the reality that we know is kind of the case. If we could shift kind of some of the focus away from providing for the new parent, the new mother in that kind of very material sense into, okay, can we stock their freezer with um, really nutritious meals? Can we, you know, do a a run around to make sure that 
Um, there's somebody on the end of a phone line every day for that person, somebody checking in with them, you know, have a rotor of friends, the ones who have children and the ones who don't. How can we create this community of care and support that's so lacking in our society? So I think that's a good dialogue to be having. But in some ways, I think to ask the pregnant person to be thinking about all of this, sometimes it's another thing that they perhaps don't always have capacity to do because they they just think, I've just got to get through the birth. And that's actually when, certainly when I've ever approached antenatal classes, sometimes I, I try to talk even about something like feeding the baby. You know, have they thought about um, the method of feeding? Have they thought about conditions that can help if they, if they want to breastfeed? And they can't really go there. They listen, but it doesn't necessarily go in. Um, so I don't want to say it's hopeless, <laughs> that kind of changing that narrative. But I think in some ways it's incumbent on people around that expectant family to think, OK, what do they really need? God, Ali, I could talk to you for hours on all of this stuff, but unfortunately we don't have that long. What would you say to a mum who is listening to this right now who might be struggling with feelings of resentment or shame as you've mentioned or mm -hmm. guilt and just needs a little bit of advice I think my advice and I hesitate to use the word advice I very rarely give actual advice but it's just the sense that I have that you are most likely doing a much, much better job than you can ever even realise. And maybe with the benefit of some hindsight, you know, maybe when you're a bit further on in your mothering or parenting journey, you might be able to look back on that earlier version of yourself with some good grace and think, well, goodness me, that was just so crazy. As you say, that first year of life is just so full on. Let's pause take a breath look back and actually acknowledge what you know what we've done there that was momentous that was huge I think when you're in the thick of it particularly if you're sleep deprived you you simply don't have the capacity to have any kind of reflective ability and it's so hard and you it's just something that you have to go through day by day and I think just look for small wins in your day if you like tiny micro moments that you can perhaps take for yourself tiny little bits of um, gratitude for what perhaps has gone well we tend to view everything in life through a very strong sort of negativity bias and so you'll you'll consider the one example when you didn't respond to your baby's cries or when you've got got it wrong and you did shout at your toddler and that will be the thing that's preying on your mind if that's the case just mentally scan back through the day and think well actually there was a moment when we went to the park and it was yeah it was actually quite fun on the swings or oh yeah they did have that first feed and were quite settled and yeah I did well there so trying to redress that balance a little bit in your own mind if you can and building in any kind of ability to have just those tiny moments for breathing and reflection within the context of your day. You're not going to be able to sit down and meditate for half an hour. You're not going to be able to do journaling. 
you're probably not going to be able to run a bath or light the scented candle. But can you have a cup of tea whilst it's still warm? Is that humanly possible for you? Can you meet your basic needs for hydration and to go to the toilet yourself? So keep it, I think, expectations. Lower your expectations of what you can actually put in um, and honour the stuff that's going well. And find find your tribe if you possibly can. So, you know, we, we touched on that earlier. I actually think sometimes going to some groups can be even more isolating because you look around and you see other mothers that you think have got it together and you feel like you're the only one that hasn't. But there possibly is someone on the periphery of that group you could strike up a, a more private conversation with. There are lots of um, online forums and groups where, you know, if you've got a high needs or difficult to settle baby or a baby with reflux or a specific thing that's making it really hard, I definitely encourage people to reach out to that wider online community. Some Facebook groups are a shit show and you don't want to go there, but some are genuinely supportive. So pick and choose, try and find somewhere where you can find yeah like-minded supportive people yeah I love that it's it's so important um and speaking of finding people Ali find you um so the main platform that I'm on is Instagram so my handle there is good enough mamas with an s um but I've also got a web page and I'm also present on on Facebook um, and I'm always happy to receive DMs and I run a number of things. I run workshops um, for groups to come together to talk about these kinds of ideas, actually, and to explore them in more depth. But I also offer one to one work. So um, I work with clients in a blend of counselling and coaching. It's neither one nor the other. So the counselling bit is kind of looking at perhaps where things have come from in your life. The coaching bit is far more forward looking and how you can make change from this point forward. So it's a blend of both. Ali, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Thank you for being a guest today and sharing your and advice, not advice. Um, but I really, really appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. Mm, no problem. It's, it's work I love and it's work I also do because I am a mum and I know what it's mm. like. So, yeah, it's exactly what I would have liked to have received when, when I was uh, a new mum myself.